guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. Hey guys, it's Lawrence here. Just dropping in to let you all know that we've got a Black Friday special deal. Have you been wanting to find out the latest and greatest on aesthetic rehabilitation, implants, management of tooth wear and more? Well, the Queensland Dental Group is holding the Prosthodontic Update 2022 at Brisbane Hilton Hotel on Friday and Saturday, 20 to 21st of May, 2022. We'll have leading prosthodontists like Dr. Chris Ho, Michael Manikos, and Tony Rotundo. They'll share their material and technique preferences, how they manage their patients, and what works best for them. So head over to cpdjunkie.com.au forward slash events forward slash prosthodontic update 2022 and purchase your early bird ticket before the 26th of November to save $450 off the standard registration. You don't want to miss this spectacular deal. I'm your host, Lauren Stone, and today we're joined by Dr. Fiona Kelly. She graduated from UWA in 1991 with the Convocation and Pediatric Dental Awards. She worked in the dental school of UWA for many years, primarily in the undergraduate training program in regional WA. And after this, she worked in Perth for seven years with extensive training in general cosmetic and implant placement and restoration. She has particular interest in preventative dentistry. She has since then moved to Melbourne, where she continues to practice. Dr. Fiona Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So before I go into your CPD <laughs> journey, I want to talk about how you dropped your preference for Japanese and economics for dentistry. So I, um, I had... I'd gone, I finished year 12 and I'd gone to New Zealand for an extended break. My family are all from New Zealand. And uh, my uncle was a dentist. He, he was actually the president of the ADA at the time. And uh, his nurse had called in sick and he was desperate for someone to come and just hold a sucker for him. So I went in. And uh, back then, I think uh, the sterilisation rules weren't as strict. Because <laughs> there was no gloves or anything back then. And uh, yes, so yes. I went in and I nursed for him and um, I really, really loved it. So I called my mum in Perth and said, change all my preferences and change it to science and I'm going to try and get into dentistry and that's how it happened. So, yeah, from there. <laughs> there you go, hey. Yeah, so yeah. before you were this awesome cosmetic dentist, you know, tell us about how your CPD journey or dental journey came to be. So I did dentistry at UWA and, um, and then I decided to go into the country and I worked in Geraldton, Western Australia for about 17 years, um, which was um, really fantastic. I mean, if you want to get really good dental skills up, go work in the country where you don't have any specialists to help you out and you're like 500 k's away from a major city centre. Uh, we had, uh, at that time, there was about nine dentists and, uh, and because we didn't have access to CBD like you do nowadays, we used to do our own club. So we would meet every month and 
we would sometimes invite specialists to come up and spend a weekend in Geraldton and we would do our CPD that way and things like that. Um, and then uh, I bought a practice in um, Subiaco, which was basically not, it didn't have any patients. And I was running that at the same time. And I did that for uh, a number of years as well and built that up and then sold the, the Geraldton one to one of my dentists sold my city one to one of my dentists and then moved to Melbourne. So yeah, that's, and that, now I'm here. I've been a dentist 30 years this year, so a long time. Wow. So, I mean, let's let's hash on the moment. For, so you're saying at that time, because there's not a lot of CPD kind of going around, particularly, you know, in rural settings as well. So you developed a study club amongst yep. the general dentists that was around in that community. Correct. And then you, um, you invited the specialists to come over. Yeah, what so, were the, some of the topics that you were kind of bringing on earlier on? So um, a lot of oral surgery because you would have to do, I used to do a lot of surgery when I lived in the country and I used to have a theatre list every week at the public and the private hospitals. And uh, we were doing, I, I wouldn't do really complex wisdom teeth because we get an oral surgeon who was up every month. I sent all that that way. Um, but we were, I was doing a lot of full clearances, a lot of, um, I was doing implants at that stage, a lot of implant surgery, uh, also a lot of kids. And back then uh, there was a lot of full, a lot of clearances in children as well, things like that. So, right. um, so we, we, we did a lot of oral surgery sort of stuff. We also did quite a bit of endo as well, because we'd had to do all our own endo. But back then there was no, um, it was all hand endo. So we had um, people like, um, uh, the, and we also did quite a bit of perio as well, because they're the sort of three specialties that we got coming up to the country on a sort of monthly basis. Yeah. Um, and also we got to talk a lot to the orthodontist, although we didn't practice much ortho. So we had uh, two orthodontists coming up quite regularly at that stage, but we do that as well. Right. So. You can't, so you were saying, yeah, ortho, I mean, sorry, not ortho, oral surgery, um, endo, um, perio, these were the very common things that you were kind of facing when you're out in that community. Um, yeah. were, you, were you doing any particular other CPD on top of that? Or was it mainly just the study club? No, 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 still doing CPD on top of that. So I would come to, so like for me, I always do the, um, the uh, ADA one that I have every two years, always, because I figure I can go for three or four days and just, I go from eight to six and I also book all my lunch times as well, because I'm not there for socialization. I'm just there to learn, learn, learn. So I mean, wow. saying that I still socialize, but for me, it's really about doing the course. Yeah. Um, so I'd always do that. Um, I used to fly a lot into Melbourne or Sydney and do quite a few courses that way. Um, we also, um, at the time, had a, um, uh, a professional mentor in our practice called Focus Management Group. So right. that was run by a dentist called John Kozanowski and his partner, Erica King. And they used to come to Geraldton quite a bit. And so we do quite a bit of CPD through them as well. We go to different like I did a lot of TMJ back then and um, uh, a lot of cosmetic stuff as well. So they would sort of say to us, you should do this course, you should do that course, and we would do it. Right. As in like, because they were kind of faced with um, people, other dentists asking them what kind of courses to attend and they were hearing good feedback from some of these courses and that's how... Yeah, they and were... they, would, they would run some of their own courses as well because they were managing so many practices that they would get all their dentists together. And that's why I was coming to Melbourne a bit because um, that's where they were running a lot of the courses. So people like Jeff Mount and things like that were doing the courses for us. So it was great. It was really great. And it was smaller groups. And so I used to get to learn quite a lot. And 
yeah, a lot of questions to be asked and things like that. I'm a very hands-on sort of thing and I like to ask a lot of questions and, and yeah, so it was, it was good. Mm. And, you know, with the study club as well, so with that, was that, uh, were you doing hands-on exercises as well or was that more in the CPD kind of um, course that no, you were attending? No, it, was, it, was, it wasn't so much hands-on, no, not, not so much. And um, uh, back then maybe a few, because you've got to remember when I started in my practice, we didn't even have computers, <laughs> so there was no computers, no nothing. Everything was handwritten, um, you know, and all the x-rays were all put into all the solutions. Yes, um, the Kodak solutions. So yeah, so, yeah, but like, um, like you could always, uh, you could always pick up a phone. We were actually, um, uh, we we would help each other as well. So if someone was doing something interesting, you could go along and watch it and things like that, from different practices. Right. Like it was really wonderful because um, not only did we have that, but then we also ran an emergency clinic, and and so you would have a week that you were on roster every eight weeks. And but if you got into a bit of troubles, because we'd see some pretty serious emergency stuff, and be working with the actual general surgeons mm-hmm. um you could call someone up to come give you a hand so it was pretty good it's pretty good experience wow i can't experience in the city like when i moved to perth i tried really hard i still did lists in perth um for yes. quite a while at st john of god's hospital but now when i came to melbourne i didn't i don't do anything like that anymore i don't do any hospital admission stuff and i, I barely do any surgery now it's really it's really strange it's like i had one career then and now i have another career it's really different now yeah, it's kind of like, you know, if you're back then and you're talking to yourself, hey, this is what you're going to be doing in the future, you're kind of like, no way. Like, I'm enjoying uh, life right now and it's just completely I know, different. it was really strange. I used to do so much surgery. And then when I moved to Melbourne and I worked at a practice here, I sold all my surgical equipment to one of the oral surgeons in town. <laughs> so I just sold it all said, you can have it all now because you can do a better job than me, I'm sure. So, so And I just concentrate on what I like. And someone was saying to me that... Um, that's disappointing because they were saying, you know, you're 30 years experience and you're de-skilling, but I don't see it that way. I just see is that I'm going on the journey that I enjoy and what I want to do. And, you know, I've done it. I have literally done it all. And I think, well, I've got really good knowledge base in it and I understand exactly what's going on with all of these things. And, and, but I'm just now doing what I enjoy. That's my journey now. Yeah. Right. So Okay, so I'm, I'm going to still focus in on that early start there. So you're doing study clubs I'm out, um, and you've got, you've got these other weekend kind of CPD kind of courses that you're going on. What are these particular CPD courses that you're kind of focusing on particularly or is it kind of like a, a bit of everything? No, I've always tried to do a bit of everything because I was living in the country. You have to have skill sets in all areas like you you really do mm. um, because you've got some patients that are coming from four and five hundred kilometers away off stations and things like that and so you can't afford for your work to fail and you've got to know what you you're doing and all that sort of stuff um, back then I prop I did a lot of surgery courses I did my own implants um, um, also I was very interested in composite resins because when I was a student we were taught amalgam and yes. composite resin was just on anterior teeth. You didn't put it on posterior teeth. And so during my first 10 years, composite resins really came into their own. Yes. But saying that, I only stopped doing amalgams about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, uh, because the ADA came out with, you know, now composite resin's just as good. So I thought, okay, yeah. then we'll, we'll move on to that. Um, yeah, so I had to do probably quite a bit of training in that sort of material as well and just work out a system that really worked well for me. So 
I've been a dentist long enough to see what of my work fails and what works. You know, I have a pretty good idea what my hand skill is now. And so um, just just developing that over a period of time. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, how did you come about developing um, your implant? Because, I mean, earlier on, a lot of associates, I mean, a lot of graduates now, they want to get into the implants. But what were you kind of um getting into to kind of get into because that, that's not really taught at uni no so I, i'm lucky in perth we used to have a guy called pat henry and pat henry was instrumental to um nova biocare so yeah. um uh, brenna mark back then and uh so pat henry was a mentor of mine um when i was quite a young dentist because got to remember i bought my first practice when i'd only been 18 months out of uni yeah so so i I was in it pretty quick. And then um, I knew Pat because a friend of mine worked for Pat for a number of years, who's now a specialist herself. And um, yeah, so I just got into that with Pat and I'd go down and I'd do Pat's courses and Pat's courses were all hands-on. You had to bring patients with you. So you had to bring two patients and you would spend three days doing surgery and you would do wow. lots. And then at Pat's clinic, they had, um, I think it was eight chairs and there'd be eight dentists and then pat and a whole lot of specialists would walk from surgery to surgery to surgery checking on your surgery and two of you would be doing surgery so i did my surgery with um brad shepherd who's a prosthodontist in perth and um you know i do mine and he'd assist for me and then he'd do his and i'd assist for him and yeah that's how i got into implants so very very hands-on wow that, that would have been cutting edge back then as well because it's obviously amazing. yeah because i mean how did you get your patients to go into the clinic with you? Was it like, uh, you know, organize a flight down or was it kind of like... So the patients were happy just to drive down. They'd be getting a free implant. They knew it was my first implant. They were fine. I put my first one in way too deep, like way too deep. Yeah. On a 2-1. I still think about it. I still think about it today, how deep I put it in. Um, but we had... We had um, we had incredible specialists there with us. Like we had oral surgeons, we had prosthodontists, we had periodontists, just, and there was someone at every door of every room. So you, you were pretty heavily monitored. And before you could bring your case down, you had to do case presentation beforehand. Right. So we had met before that, um, and you had to do a full case presentation of why you wanted to do it. You had to have all your, um, all your sketches and all your, your proper, um, you know, um, yeah, so have it completely planned out. And then the Pat would either yeah. say, yeah, work out, that's the word. So Pat would either say, yeah, that's looking good, or Pat would go, no, find another find another patient. So we, I mean, a lot of dentistry for me, and even doing that sort of stuff, it's all about patient selection and understanding mm -hmm. and looking at all the information you've been given and, and knowing what your skill level is and then also knowing where you could go wrong or where it can go right and then choosing, choosing the right the right person to do that on. Does that wow. make sense? Because yeah, I, mean, I think when a lot of dentists get into trouble, so I'm not going off track here, it's because they've taken on more than they actually should and they don't understand their limitations and they're not diagnosing correctly. I'm huge on diagnosis. It's all about diagnosis. So, so if you diagnose properly and then you, you have a real realistic view of where you're at as a dentist, things are going to be great and your career is going to be pretty good. And then when you hit that sort of roadblock, you learn from it, you hopefully have got enough skill to get yourself out of that sort of trouble. 
Um, and then you go from there. So I'm not saying don't attempt something that's uh, above your your grade, but just just know where you're at, you know. And know if you if it's going to be a bit harder than what you think it is, have somebody around who knows what they're doing who can help you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, because you're saying that you're eight you're 18 months out and you've started to learn this implant, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I, probably, I probably learned implants when I was about five years out. It's probably yeah, okay. yeah, about five years out. Yeah. Okay. So, so then I'd be doing, I'd done a lot of surgery by then. And like, so it was interesting to me, like when I went to my first implant course, um, one of the questions that was asked about it was who here does surgical extractions? And a guy sitting next to me says to me, I haven't pulled out a tooth in six years. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be doing these sorts of courses unless you you're used to blood and bone and scalpels and retractors and you know like insane sort of stuff. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I mean, if you're not extracting teeth, I mean, then how do you get these kind of patients that need the implants? Like, uh, there's a slight disconnect there. I feel like, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, five years out, you're doing the implants, but prior to that, what were the things you were kind of doing at the time? I mean. Like you said, amalgam was kind of like um, the thing back then. Obviously, for a lot of graduates now, it's kind of like when they graduate, it's aesthetic um, composites. That that's what they're kind of talking about, bread and butter, that kind of stuff. But for you then, what were the kind of things? That you, oh, were you doing endo? Were you doing so, amalgam? Lots of XO, like lots of dentures. Yeah, I would be doing CPD though. You're talking about you're oh, learning more. I was still doing CPD and dentures back then too, because I was doing two or three dentures a day. Mm -hmm. So you know, learning to do a bit of those. Um, uh, also, uh, endo because endo was changing. Um, I was taught by Paul Abbott, and mm -hmm. back then there was we weren't doing any rotary. So um, so rotary sort of came in after I graduated. So trying to I did a few courses on that. Yes. Uh, on rotary endo, um, just trying to upskill you know, make my, my stuff a lot better. I mean, back when I was taught, there was no fourth canal in a 2.6 or a 1.6. <laughs> <laughs> just So, like, you know, it's it's interesting how these things change. Um, yeah, a lot of composite resin because it was so new. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, that was probably it. It was probably composite, implants, still doing a lot of denture stuff um and yeah and rotary endo is, is where things were changing for me mm. so let's i'm going to touch on dentures first because that's where you kind of started so dentures there's not a lot of that kind of about nowadays i guess um i mean there's still some big ones but there's not a lot of that nowadays i mean why did you go about picking um dentures because people don't like talking about because it it's just not that glamorous right it's not instagram really yeah so, you have to know that 30 years ago people would just pull teeth out you you weren't saving teeth like you were nowadays and there wasn't the the implant stuff was still so new and um and you and we the older population which you guys aren't experiencing now because that older population now is like dead basically mm -hmm. they had no teeth because they were getting they were getting dentures for their 21st birthdays you know so by the time they get to me and they're in their 50s they're at, they're at their third set of dentures you know um with no ridges and all sorts of stuff so you had to be really good at making making dentures you had to be really good at it um mm -hmm. back then but you know as I, I wasn't joking when i said i would be doing two or three dentures a day and i used to a lot of my surgery was full clearances you know full clearances and and immediate dentures thinking i would pull out 
you know, you know, 25 teeth and put dentures in it in under GA, you know. It's crazy just, to think about it now, right? Yeah. It's crazy when I think about it now. But that's what that's what it was, you know. Um, yeah, so, and even now, this will sound strange, but at the last ADA I went to, which was in Adelaide, I, I went to the denture lecture again and just to see what they're doing better and things like that, you know. So in, in my dentistry, like if someone says to me, because you still get them, can you do a denture? I go, I can make a decent denture. Come and see me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the Adelaide one, I think that was Finley, wasn't it? That was Finley yeah. student, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm get, I, my vibe is that you were picking a lot of your CPD courses based off the type of patients that you were dealing with. Yeah. Absolutely, um, yeah. And was it... Uh, do you feel like it was a weakness in it um, in that area at the time? And that's why you wanted to learn more about it, or was it just that that was just the thing to do? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. So back then, it's just what we were seeing on the coal face, and just trying to improve upon that. And also, I was a young business owner and trying to build my business and be um, be extraordinary in 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 what we were doing we really I really wanted to have a very good reputation in my small town and um, because you're a big fish in a small pond and so the dentistry has to be good because if it's not uh, you're going to hear about it going down the street <laughs> and they're going to talk about it in the street and they're going to go don't go to that dentist you know and things like that so it was really important the dentistry was very good and at the best sort of level. So, um, you know, it, it was really good dentistry. It really, it really was. I feel like it's, it, it's really set me up now in my later years, um, you know, like, like I can be working now and, and my nurse will just go, God, that's a beautiful temporary because I really take pride in all that sort of stuff. And I think I say, well, yeah, because um, that's what it needs to be. Because one of the other things which I suppose we'll get to is that, I worked in a practice in the Melbourne here um, that has like 42 dentists or something like that in it. And like you knew your work was going to be seen by one or more of those dentists at any time. So the level's got to be good. You're going to be judged all the time. So, mm. so yeah. yeah, so, you know, picking courses is just make sure my skills were good in, in most areas. Yeah. Right. And that was a bread and butter kind of dentistry back then, would you just call it? Yeah, it really was. It really was. And we, um, not so much a cosmetic slant back then as much as it is now. So it was a lot of fill and drill, you know, sort of stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. like Pat Henry taught me this really important lesson that, and I say dentists all the time, like so often when someone comes in and they've got a problem and he says, he always said to me, don't look down the street, look at the whole map because you can get so focused on one thing and then just not see the whole story in the mouth. So I'm very much about that, you know, just, just focusing on the whole mouth. But yeah, okay, you've come in for that tooth. Let's look at everything and let's work out why this is happening and why this is failing and, and what we need to do for a, ho a holistic fix of your mouth. So Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you're saying because I have to reflect back on my days and I talked with my piece as well. When we graduate, it's all about single dentistry, single tooth dentistry. And then you kind of, I mean, yeah, we're taught about, you know, other aspects um, about around the mouth and all that. But sometimes we get lost in it early on because we're so focused in on just the one tooth and moving forward. Yeah. Um, but graduating after with a few more years, you kind of, like to your point, it's more about the bigger picture. Yeah. 
and it's it's a lot more like um, I'm quite uh, keen on because um, dentistry is not just about the toothache or the filling. It's about what's your diet, what sports are you doing, how you're sleeping, what's your saliva like, um, what's your oral hygiene like. Like I have a series of questions that people would just go why are you asking that? But it's a whole story that gets to you. I can almost ask all my questions and then get, not even look at them yet and know what I'm going to see in that mouth. Cause it's just, a, and then it helps me then develop a long-term roadmap for them as well about, you know, we're not only going to fix you, but we're going to try and, and just keep you at a really good state now for the rest of your, you know, the life of your teeth basically. So mm. it's a real journey. It's a real journey. You're right. Yeah, and so talking about journey, so you're at this point now, you're 18 months and you're straight into your practice. For a lot of people, that's, you know, nowadays it's kind of like, wow, um, a lot of graduates, I'm saying. And so you, you started this practice and then you've got this, you've got another practice that you've um, built down, which is what, you're probably seven, eight years out now with this current practice. Is that right? 10 years, 10 years. 10, ten years. And then you've, you've built another practice. And you've yeah. won numerous business awards during that time too. Yeah. Yeah. So what makes you decide to leave all of that and then decide to move to Victoria? So I had, I had uh, run Geraldton for about 17 years at that stage and I had run Subiaco for five. And, um, and I was These are like in five my, hours away from each other, right? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you a story. So <laughs> we... I would hop on an aeroplane at 6 a.m. on a Monday morning and I would be on a plane full of specialists and there would be like gastric surgeons, there was like um, orthopedic surgeons. We all knew each other. We all knew each other. And I would fly up. I would have a car permanently at the airport and I would drive to my practice. I would see my first patient at 9.30. I would work through. I would stay the night. I'd work through to 6 the next night and then I'd fly home and then I'd go into my practice in the city. I had other dentists working for me as well. So I did that for four or five years. Just every wow. week I flew up. Yeah, yeah, I'd fly up and I'd have, and then I would, yeah, do two days and I'd fly back. I can't believe it when I think back on it. But that's that's the life often of um, specialists who work in the country anyway. As I said, like, if the plane went down, you've lost half a per specialist on that plane. Like, it's just, it's just all of us on there. Um, so I had been doing that for quite a long time and I, and I was trying to uh, get pregnant basically and I couldn't I couldn't and then so the suggestion was just to sell one of my practices so I sold Geraldton and then um, kept trying doing IVF all that sort of stuff and then um, they, they just said because I was doing a lot of things I was doing all sort of mentoring programs and all sorts of stuff and then they said um, uh, maybe take time off from the practice just if you're serious about getting pregnant so one of my people were happy to buy it and I sold it and then literally about uh, a month after I sold it I was told I couldn't have children and I was like oh wow. no you know? so a friend of mine here owned about seven or eight practices and I said to her oh, I'm going to buy another practice I'm just going to buy another one and then she said don't do that I, I need help with one of my practices. Can you come over for a year and help me with that? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll come over. So I came over for a year and then I said, oh, I'm going to go back to Perth now because I just thought I'd buy another practice. Yeah. And then a practice here called Smile Solutions, um, uh, Dr. Kia Pachahash contacted me and said, oh, I heard, you know, that you've left that job and can I come and can you come and have a talk to me? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went and had a chat to him and then 
he offered me a job and I thought, oh, why not? So that's how it happened. And then you've been in Melbourne ever since. <laughs> we only sold our house a couple of months ago because we kept thinking we'll go back, we'll go back. And then yeah. we realised if we didn't go back during the pandemic, we weren't going back. So, so we sold it. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, I mean, I mean that was completely left field. Like, I wasn't expecting any of that. So, um, yeah, you've, you've mentioned, you know, in more recently that you still have a dream clinic, you know, one that's in the CBD with the latest dental technology, surrounded by a motivated team that's ever-growing, ever-learning. Yeah. And yeah. an aesthetically pleasing kind of workspace. Yeah. Does that mean that practice ownership is still kind of on the cards? No. So what happened was is during last year I resigned um, and I took some time off work. And then because um, I've got I've got a very different CV to a lot of dentists. And so um, so when people see my CV, they always want to have a chat to me because it's <laughs> an interesting CV. And, um, and so I got called up by um, one of those job placement companies saying, what are you doing? I was going, oh, nothing. And he said, well, I've got a practice who really nice people, you should come and have a chat to them. So this is in South Melbourne, which is literally just two Ks from my house. So I went down there and this is the team that I definitely knew I wanted around me. Like they're actually, not just saying it because I work there, they're actually incredible. Um, and so I took a job with them and I've got it. I've got it. I've got all the latest technology. The practice is beautiful. The team's incredible and I don't have to own it. Like it's great. <laughs> so it's like, I'll do that. And it was funny because when I was going, the owner, Ian, said to me, like, I think there's some trepidation because he was saying, well, what happens if you just want to open up down the road? And I was saying, you know what? I'm in my 50s now. I've got other things I'm really interested in at the moment. Owning, I've done practices. I've won every award you possibly can. I just, I'm done. Like, but I just want to, I still want to just work in dentistry. So I just work three days now. And I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, when you're 18 months out and you're, you know, you started your own practice is, I mean, People talk about there's, you know, practice uh, uh, management um, CPDs out there and there's, like, marketing CPDs out there. I mean, you've gone through that kind of journey. I mean, would you say that if you could speak to your younger self then that you would have recommended it or um, looking back, you'd just say it's not recommended? How would you look at all of that? No, it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, nothing. It was crazy. Yeah. I was 23. I knew nothing. Um, and I even had troubles getting the loan because the bank said to me at the time, they went, um, we're not interested in women of um, baby baby age, you know, that yeah. you're a baby. And so my partner at the time, he had to go like a guarantor for me that that wow. I would be okay. It was only $100,000. I think I, I think I paid one twenty for my first practice. That's a lot back then. Come on. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, well, I suppose it was. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a lot. When you earn good money, it doesn't seem like a lot. Um, um, yeah, so, uh, look, I actually think it's good I went in with no knowledge because if I knew now what I knew then, I would never do it. I'd be too afraid. Mm-hmm. But I was certainly brought up with a real can-do attitude. That's just the way I am. And, um, and I love challenge and opportunity. So... You know, and, and, you know, when I see dentists talking about um, buying a practice and getting a practice, I don't, I think it's a great idea. I just, I, I would never talk anybody out of doing that. It's just such a journey. You've got to be ready because it's pretty stressful. Mm-hmm. And I think more stressful now than ever, because back when I was doing it, um, you know, there was none of, there was none of the 
balances and checks like there are now, you know, that right. you have to do. So it was quite a different journey. It, you could you could fuddle along and still be okay. And I'm talking about the business side here, not the dentistry. Yes. You can sort of fuddle along. Now I think it's a bit harder and it's a bit, I think it's harder to make money in dentistry as well at the moment. So back then when I bought the practice, um, uh, the profit margin was something like 42% which right. is unheard of now, you know, no one makes that sort of profit margin now. So um, yeah, it, it was, a, it was a good deal. It was a good deal to do. Yeah. Mm. Right. So you're saying like, and nowadays, cause I, I'm speaking for some of our um, colleagues as well, our community is like, they're at that point, you know, they're four or five years out of um, graduation yeah. and now they're deciding I want to specialize. Maybe I want to practice ownership right now. or I want to start the family side of things, you know, or be a super GP um, yeah. of that sort. So in regards to the practice ownership side, you're saying it's still a possibility, but just bear in mind, it's not as um, profitable as it used to be. Uh, there are a lot of hurdles that, um, that you will come across and you have to be prepared for it. No, I'm, I'm, no. so I, I'm taking a more positive stance on that. So for me, it's like absolutely go for it, but understand mm -hmm. it's seven days a week. It is seven, and I'm not talking about the dentistry. It's yeah. seven days a week. Um, have a really, you need a good team around you. You really do. Um, you mean you like support to, network, not just at work, but also like at home. You do. You really do. You really do. And um, if you can have a partner in it, like another dentist, that's a good thing as well. I think that helps a lot. And um, and also. Um, I, I think you have to look at very carefully, like where, like if you're starting from scratch, especially like really do your homework about where you set that practice up. I think it's a good idea to buy clients, like, you know, buy an already established practice and they've already got a clientele and then it's your responsibility to convert them to wanting to see you. Um, I think that's really, really important, really important. Do you think do you think um, nowadays of these um, courses of business practice management, of, you know, uh, marketing courses, do you think that's a um, something that graduates or early business owners should kind of get into? Or do you think that's just a lot more fluff? No, no, I think they should definitely do it. And I do think it's something they should teach at dental school, to be completely honest. There should be somewhere in that course in last year, in the last year, because a lot of... I mean, let's, most dentists are business owners and we don't learn anything about that. And I don't think that's changed very much either. So it would be good if that sort of course ran through dental school and maybe it, it, it could actually be dentists coming in, like dentists who've owned practices and have the knowledge and have the on the ground sort of stuff. Um, but I would definitely be doing those sorts of courses. I definitely would be doing it. Yeah. Mm. I don't so think it's fluff at all. I really don't. Um, and I don't know, I think you have to be fairly media savvy. You know, you like you're saying about social media and all that sort of stuff. Because back when, when I owned my practices, social media didn't exist and we thrived. It was all word of mouth. It really was. And I think word of mouth is still really incredible because I say that because in my practice in South Melbourne at the moment, so I had a patient coming for a toothache last week and she said to me the reason why she was there, because it's, all the locals are talking about the new dentist who's come to South Melbourne. And she said, and it's you. And she was the third person to tell me that in the last week. And so I know now that my name is out in that neighbourhood and people are coming to see me. And that's just been through 
me being really personable to them, doing good treatment, being kind, not giving them pain. That was far more important than my latest Instagram post. Not a single one of them follows me on Instagram, you know. So, so it's really important if you're in that sort of community to be that sort of dentist and, and then work will just get out. So I've only been there six months, words out, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Has there been particular courses um, that you maybe have come across that you would recommend? So I took on a professional mentor for many years um, that taught that stuff specifically. So, um, and I was paying like 20000 a year for it. So it's not cheap, but that, and that's back going back 20 years ago. So that was yeah. a lot of money back then. Um, uh, that was one of the best I did because it just showed me the possibilities and gave me confidence and things like that. Um, yeah, so a professional mentor in that area was very, very helpful to my business like when we took it on it increased my revenue quite significantly and and it depends what you're driven by like at that time I wasn't driven by revenue I was more driven by what I wanted my reputation to be and I mean I don't know if I can say it but when I won the Telstra Businesswoman Awards and I put my application in so I had someone have a read of it beforehand and they and they said to me you haven't put a single thing about financially how you were successful and I was like oh wow I didn't even and then I had to, of course, look at that. And then I thought, wow, they really helped double my income, you know. So so it, it does make a difference. Yeah. So, so I, like a, yeah, professional support. Yeah, yeah, it really did. It made a big difference, yeah. And that support also wasn't just for me personally. It, it My staff would also have the support as well with that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that, that, made a, that made a big difference, a big difference. Right. So... Um, one of our previous guests, Dr. Amelia Johnson, has talked highly of like your communicational skills, you know, in the past. How would you describe your communicational skills and how did it come about? Can you give us an example? Um, so um, I like to talk, so and I don't have any problems talking at all. Um, I actually uh, hired a reporter back in must be about 15 or 16 years ago. And she videoed me uh, quite extensively. And then we would look at the way that I was talking and interacting and how I was finishing sentences. And so we rounded a lot of those edges off. Um, And then I've actually done uh, quite a few um, different, uh, I've joined a lot of things where it's a lot of professional development uh, on yourself, not not just dentistry. I do a lot of stuff outside of dentistry. Um, And so just getting the confidence to talk and to, Oh, I, I I think everyone's got a story and, and I love to talk to patients. That's one of my, if I could just do the exams, diagnosis and all that all day long, I would love that, all the talking. And, um, and I have this motto where I go, don't treat others as you want to be treated. I believe in the motto, um, treat others as they want to be treated. So I assess everybody a little bit differently and I may change the way I slightly act Leanne with each person depending how they are and how they respond and you know um I love talking with people I can walk down the street and talk to a person like my friends always say it's insane how you can just start a conversation but I love it like you smile and you say hi and yeah I really like it I noticed you mentioned you know you're doing other stuff outside of it I've heard about the is it the um leadership uh Victoria scholarship back in 2022 Sorry, 2020, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So last year I did the Williamson Leadership Program, which is run by Leadership Victoria, and I applied for one of their scholarships. 
chips and I got one, which was good. And because uh, it's expensive, of course. And that that actually saved me during lockdown. It was really great. And so it's uh, we had 62 people in the course and it's from people from all walks of life. And um, there'll be um, head of banks, politicians, um, medical doctors. I, I think I'm one of the first dentists that's ever done it. Um, people who work for NGOs, like all sorts of people. Yeah. And before you have to apply to get in. In fact, I'm interviewing people for it for next year. I'm part of the panel this year um, to do that. But like, um, but uh, it's a course that looks at what your leadership is now and, and you actually do an exam on that. And then they give you um, a psychologist then goes through it with you about where you're at. And then they spend the year helping you develop that and to be a better communicator, to be more what's in your head coming out of your mouth, um, to be more honest, um, to be more open and to be more aware of what's around you. So I've, I've learned a lot more stuff outside of myself and I take that into my dentistry without a doubt. So, um, you mentioned that, you know, you talk about it's reminded you to be more bold, inquisitive, have fun on this journey. Talk to me about how that and, you know, communications all kind of come together or in dentistry has come all together. Yeah, so like um, just trying to think how to word that. So, uh, so I think I've got to the stage where when you've been at something for a long time, so I've been a dentist for 30 years, you, you know, you start to have some self-doubts and things like that. But when you do a course like this and you're sitting in a Zoom room, because it had to be on Zoom, with 60 other people, and you actually realise what you have to say is actually pretty important and you do have a voice in that room and you're with all these industry leaders and you just go, oh, my God, what I say actually matters. So it gives you a lot more confidence um, in, in what the sort of journey that you're on and where you want your life to go. Um, and it also... Um, I think it also made me more aware of like Aboriginal issues, um, homeless people, um, uh, LGBTQI, like everything like that. It just takes you in a world outside of yourself. And so I feel like in my practice that I've always been pretty good, but I just feel like I'm even more accepting of people now and I'm more aware of different people's situations. I, I literally have no judgment of people like it's amazing how people will come in with their mouths and they're like apologizing to you for what you're going to see and I'm like I actually say sometimes absolutely no judgment you know we've been in lockdown for two years it's been so hard for you to come in like you know you're here now like I'm so thrilled you're here let's just get going you know let's see what we can do for you um I think it's made me really a better person, if that makes sense. And so because I'm a better person, I'm a better dentist because dentistry is all about communication. I don't care how good you are with that drill. It is all about your communication. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to ask a lot of questions, you know, was there a particular CPD that was a game changer? But it sounds like this one was pretty much a very big game changer for you. Yeah, it came at the right time in my life because I was, I was thinking I was um I knew I knew that something had to change in my life because and I kept thinking is is a dentist all I am and I kept wondering if dentistry was still for me so I was really questioning about whether I should have a career change I really was questioning that and talking to a lot of people about it and everyone was saying 
um, oh, but you're a good dentist because I know I'm a decent dentist. You know, you're a good dentist and things like that. But what it actually was is I just needed to, it, it, it wasn't that I didn't like dentistry anymore. I actually like dentistry very much. Um, it was just that I just needed a slightly different mindset. That's all. So, um, and I think a lot of dentists, I mean, I'm going to say a big statement, but I think a lot of dentists when they've been doing it for a long time don't necessarily love it so much you know and you've got the dentists who really do like I've got a lot of friends who are in their 50s and 60s and they're just obsessed with it obsessed with dentistry you know which is really lovely um but I wasn't there I wasn't there and I still won't say I'm obsessed with dentistry I just think there's more to it than just just that just the tools there's more to it sure and how did you come about this because like you said you're probably the only dentist I can around this leadership program how did you come across this Amongst other things. So I had done a course on going onto boards because I had decided I wanted to go into the APRA board. And so I rang APRA about it and I realised I didn't have the skill set for it. So I then went and did the, the course. And then whilst I was doing this course, someone approached me and said, you should apply for this course. And I had no idea what it was because yeah. I thought I was going to learn business skills. Seriously, it's hilarious. Um, and then um, so I applied for it and then got in and then, yeah, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. When you're at my age, because I, I see myself, I'm in my third stage of my career now, so sure. I had my career in West Australia and the country and then I came to Melbourne and I worked in a very large group practice and did a lot of mentoring. I studied a study club there. Amelia probably told you that. And then now I'm in my next stage of my career where I'm enjoying the three days of dentistry and I'm really enjoying it. And then, but I'm doing so much more than that outside of that now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, it's like, so now I've just been accepted into a program in the States and, um, and I start it next week and it's this thing called Engram. And so I'm going to learn a whole lot of stuff um, so then I can work in the prisons program that they're starting up here in Melbourne and you can help prisoners. Um, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm going to get it wrong, whatever I say, but you can, you, you, you help prisoners like create some self-awareness and, and yes. help them um, have some change in their behaviours and things like that. So I'm going into that at the moment, but I'll still do the dentistry as well. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's interesting, you know, obviously for someone like yourself with the breadth of the number of years that, things that you've dabbled in. Like you said, you've just you've done the practice ownership side, you've gone through the associateship side, working for you know a large group to a small group to maybe a corporate as well. Um, now you're at that point where you're kind of transitioning and you want to focus in on other aspects of your life. Um, I think it is a recurring theme for some of our guests as well, how they talk about there's more to dentistry. Um, I mean, you can intertwine it a little bit, but still like there's more to... Um, dentistry so you don't want to define your your whole life by dentistry but it's okay if it does though like if that's if that's what you love I, I admire that like the man who I work for he absolutely loves and breathes dentistry I love it I love it like I can go ask him anything he's got all the latest technology and he's so excited about it. I love it. it makes me excited um but but I think I think I'm at a stage where it's time for me to give back a little bit more. You know, I've always felt like I've given back, particularly when I lived in a a country community, um, you give back very easily in a country community. And then when I moved to Melbourne, I sort of feel like I had 10 years of just me and me is not that exciting. I need to give back again. So this is that next phase now where I can 
give back again. And then that just makes the dentistry more enjoyable because you're just more than that, you know? So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So tell, tell me about the cosmetic dentistry side of things, right? So how have you kind of developed um, through CPD or um, through experience into, you know, the type of cosmetic dentistry that you're doing today? So um, uh, when I worked at my big practice, um, so we ran CPDs there as well, and I was part of that too, and I also ran a study club there too, and so we used to get together quite a lot with case presentations and discussing different techniques that we were using, um, and we would bring in guest speakers um, to come and talk to us. I mean, we had we had prosthodontists and all sorts of things working for us, so we used to do a lot of education that way I learned a lot in those 10 years cosmetically and you know like also like the thing is is you think everything's perfect and then you always need that one that's not didn't quite work how you wanted it to because that's the one you talk about to people going you know why did this happen and then you know the specialist or another dentist goes oh and they know what the solution is so I feel like I developed a lot of my like particularly my cosmetic stuff through that, through a lot of collaboration, through a lot of um, learning from others, sharing cases. We would always recommend different courses to each other. So we would do quite a lot of courses um, that, you know, they'd say, oh, I did such and such a course, go do this one and we do that. So we did that a lot that way. So that's definitely, and you know, now for me, like I love all the injectable stuff at the moment. That's from having a lot of fun at the moment and, um, Yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm at now. And and the um it's amazing though, because you've got two types of cosmetic clients. You've got the one who wants that absolute Hollywood, you know, they look like picket fences, but that's what they want. And then <laughs> yes. you've, got, you've got the other ones who just want to look better, you know, but they yeah. still want to be they, they want to look like it's their teeth. And that's where my real where I really shine with that person who's just we know that something's not quite right. We can tweak it here and there. I like to be fairly conservative, um, as conservative, especially the young. I like to be pretty conservative. And just, you know, I love all that digital smile design. And, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. And I must say, as I've got older and older, I've become more and more conservative. That's why I love CERAC and things like that nowadays. So a lot more conservative. Like, because when I was taught dentistry, you just cut everything away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so this is crazy so I love all this stuff that you know with with Emacs and all that sort of stuff that you can do now that you can just conserve so much natural tooth and know that that 30 year old will still have that tooth at 50 and 60 and maybe 70 you know like I love that now yeah I guess because like you know amalgam was pretty hot back then it was all about you know uh, macro retention now it's more about adhesive um, retention and micro retention so You've, you've dropped a few um, um, things there. So you've mentioned CEREC, you've mentioned DSD, um, you mentioned injectables. Um, kind of how did that kind of all kind of come about? Because like you said, you know, you started out with amalgams um, and then you were doing a bit of um, composites and that was becoming more of that norm. How did you kind of transition into more of these other aspects? Um, I think um, that's, that's what I enjoy doing. I really enjoy transformation and, and I like I really like seeing people have a change and it's amazing what a smile, I mean, I'm saying what everyone, it's such a cliche, but 
a smile can transform a face as we all know and so I really enjoy that process like making a difference that way but I also enjoy it from a function way that you know I think if nothing's done then in the next 20 years particularly around erosion and things like that this person's going to have no teeth they're going to look like sheep's teeth you know by the time we finish so flattened so um, I enjoy that I will give them longevity in their mouths as well and, and help their teeth stay a lot longer. Um, so I like that as well. Yeah. And but how did your kind of CPD kind of courses you might have selected or, um, yeah, how did you kind of develop, uh, build on that kind of skill professionally? Through experience or would you say was it through? A lot, a lot of experience, a lot of um, doing, some, doing some courses for sure. Was there a course that transformed me? Not really because because when um for me when i go to a lot of these courses they actually just give me great relief thinking oh yeah that's what i do <laughs> so it's almost like i'm doing it right you know and i think oh yeah that's what i do that's that's what i do uh, a lot of reading i like to read a lot of stuff that people are doing i would say a lot of it is from interaction with others and discussing and doing study groups and i'm really keen on the peer-to-peer uh, -peer sort of stuff and peer mm -hmm. review um, like even with Amelia, Amelia and I did an incredible, incredible um, cosmetic transformation, probably one of her first that we did together. And that was peer to peer, you know, just me helping her through that process. And I learn as well when we're doing that too. So yeah, that's definitely probably the way that we went. It's peer to peer. I, I would find it very hard to be in a single person practice, very, very difficult for my learning. Uh, then I would probably have to go to a lot more courses and things like that. Um, I definitely do way above my CPD, but but I still do pretty much well all around. I still do a lot of, you know, a lot of all around stuff. So I hear what you're saying. You're saying that basically what you're doing was a lot of P2P um, and that's where you're kind of realizing, oh, I need to learn a little bit more about this. Yep. And that's when you probably branch out and try to focus in on. And that's how, what you're talking about, you've kind of gained, um, you've decided you want to learn a little bit more about Sarah, if you want to learn about DST, that's how Injectables all kind of came about. So which yep. leads me to, who has been pivotal in your career path and who are these peers that you've been um, so blessed to be able to learn from? Um, well, one of my early peers was definitely a man called John Kozanowskis, who um, uh, he's just retired recently. Um, uh, so um, I think he's thinking about coming back to work, but I'm not sure. But yeah, so he was one of my first peers because he really taught me a lot of complex dentistry. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely Pat Henry. Pat Henry was, but Pat unfortunately is definitely retired, mm -hmm. and uh, and he's not a he's not doing any of that. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely male figures. A lot of them. Um, yeah. Then when I came into Smile Solutions, so. Um, uh, there was quite a, a few dentists who are still there now that I worked with um, quite extensively. Um, what did you take away from them? Like, like you said, the first few was more about how to manage the tough cases. Yeah. And some of these other ones now, or more recent ones, how would you, what would you say you've taken away from them? Definitely better disciplines and mm -hmm. better, um, um, uh, what's the word, workups workups i've learned some really good tricks with the workups so mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think what else um uh, even just things like you know how to cement better what sort of cements to be using i learned a lot about materials from different people because the materials are everything 
I talk a lot to my lab as well. And um, I talk a lot to my lab. My lab seems to know me pretty well. I'm always turning up there and, and talking to them about what's going on at the moment that they're seeing coming into their labs. And, and I'm always questioning. So one of my greatest things, I should go back to in Perth, was a dentist called Alex Nagascu. And so when I worked there, um, Alex used to take, this is just before I came to Melbourne, Alex used to take on a lot of new graduates. And so then what Alex decided to do is uh, UWA at the time had just got that recent technology where you cut a crown and the computer gives you a grade, you know, as you're doing it. And, or, and beats and clanks. So Alex said they needed to test the computer. So could we all go down there and do this, this crown prep? So we all went down and we were all told that um, you get a score out of 100 and that, um, that, that it was going to not have your name against it. So we all went and did that. And then Alex, of course, being Alex, published all our names next to our scores. <laughs> like it was insane. <laughs> and so it... it and then he sort of built a culture around that, that when you did a, now I'd been out 20 years by then. And yeah. I'd like to say my score was 99 with his. So him and I both got 99 and then it dropped a lot from there. Nice. And, and, and yeah, it was, I was, I was so relieved. <laughs> I was <just laughs> relieved. But then even my crown preps, I'd been out 20 years by then. We wouldn't, so they would go to the lab and be poured up. They would come back. Now, we had, 16 clinics back then, Alex would check every crown prep before the go-ahead could go for the crown. So you it, it was so you had to make sure your crown preps and your impressions were really good. Otherwise, you had to bring your patient back and improve your crown prep or retake your impression. So to do that, you know, 10 years ago and to be forced to do that was actually, I think, quite a privilege for me because I learned a lot from that about not compromising, making sure the prep was really decent, knowing that someone else is going to see this at any time. That was actually instrumental to me to really keep my skill level really good at that stage. And I still carry that with me now. I definitely do. Mm, yeah, yeah. So it's just that earlier on, being close to your technician, uh, talking about it, and like you said, it's about that depth, about being critical about that kind of work that you've got coming in learning from the other works that's been coming in, the goods and the bads, um, and that's kind of how you've been able to um, build on it in terms of uh, crowd prep. Yeah, and I ask the lab for criticism. So I say to the lab, I, I'm not going to get insulted. Can you please give me feedback on my preps? Because they're seeing preps from hundreds of dentists. I want to know, I'm not saying to them, where's my prep sitting in that? score I don't need to see anybody else's preps but can you tell me how my preps are and you know so the lab gave me really good feedback about whether preps could improve or and I said to them don't ever go ahead and do a crown if you feel like you have to correct it too much let me know and I'll correct it in the mouth before we go any further so whenever I see a patient particularly for something cosmetic I never give patient I'm going to do the prep now the insert in two weeks, I always say to the patient, we'll do the preps and then we'll have a look at them uh, in the lab and then we'll see if everything's okay to travel forward with it. If not, I'll bring you back and I'll make any changes I need to make and then we'll try them in. And if I need to do any changes, then we'll do the changes then. And I, t I, I explain to them it's a journey and at the end they're going to get a really lovely cosmetic result at the end. So, and I mean, it's great if we can just go prep to insert. That's my perfect day. But but I think it's managing that expectation, managing my own skill, making sure 
yeah, that that I'm I'm delivering it because the technician can't correct too much if I'm not giving him the right tools to work with. So yeah, mm. so the lab's really important. The lab's really important. Yeah, I mean. A lot of new graduates, you know, want mentoring. So they interpret people interpret that differently. Some people want to be held by the hand. Some people want to be checked once in a while. Some people, you know, want to be that fly on the wall. I mean, as someone who's been a practice owner, who's been in a big practice and seen recent graduates come through, I mean, what's your thoughts on recent graduates and looking for mentoring? So I've mentored a lot of graduates, particularly over the last 10 years, uh, all different skill levels. There's no doubt about it. Um, I worry if a graduate is too overconfident. I really worry for them, um, or if they take on too much at once. I don't. I think if I don't think people should hold back trying what they want to try. But I think if they're going to do something that's, you know, a little bit difficult, they just need to have their hand held through that. Um, and so they want to find the right sort of mentor who will be, um, uh, you know, not like encourage them, not dishearten them or. Or, or ridicule them, just help along the way about where it could be better and what they could be doing and putting that real diagnosis phase into them about have you thought about this, have you thought about that, what happens if that happens, what are you going to do here? Um, I think it's really, really important, like really important. And it's good for new grads like um, when I've worked with a lot of new grads and they do, because I always think you should do a presentation to the patient, uh, a couple of times I've done the presentation and so the grad can watch to see how you do that and and you're basically selling a product but it's it's about giving letting them see how you do that and and managing the patient's expectations around that as well and what you offer them and things like that so um the the other thing as well as I think um it's really important if you see a graduate not doing something quite right that you need to point it out Mm -hmm. um and help them and let them know, but point it out in the right way. Um, because you know what? I can't, I remember my first day of dentistry, I'll never forget it, which was a surgical lower five. That was an absolute disaster. Like yeah. I still think about it. Yeah. It would have been great if I'd had someone watching over my shoulder. I wouldn't have cared if they even took over. But like if you see a graduate having trouble, step in and help them, you know, because sometimes they just don't know how to ask for that help. So to also do that as well. Yeah. Right. So basically try and find the mentor who's going to be able to help you, um, guide you, but also point out, you know, or be able to help you when you're struggling, but also point out how you can improve um, yeah. on it. And how would, you, how would you suggest they kind of um, come about that? Because, you know, a lot of graduates talk about trying to find that mentoring and then um, sometimes it might be um, said that there is going to be mentoring, but there might not be. I mean, yeah, it's really difficult. It's really, really, because that was one of the hardest things, me leaving my job last year, was the graduates that I was mentoring. Like, I just, my heart broke um, mm. not being able to do that anymore. But I still do. I still chat to quite a few of them. Um, yeah. yeah, you've got to ask around and ask dentists who you respect and ask them if they can help you out. I think most dentists would, are pretty open to it, you know, to do it, because it's actually quite an honour to mentor somebody. So I think a lot of dentists are quite honoured to be asked to do that. So they should look at people who they admire and and ask them if they would spend some time with them or talk through some cases with them or, yeah. And even if um, they're working at a practice which has already got some dentists in it, like maybe asking like during, so like 
I used to run a study club, which was every fortnight, and we would supply lunch and we would all meet in, in this lunch area and, and it would just give a chance for all our graduates, just all young dentists, just to talk about how's the week and anything we need to ask in advance and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's an amazing what a little chat can do as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I hear what you're saying. It's, you're saying, like, as a mentor, you're going to have to be able to, you know, reach out and actually tell, like, kind of give the graduates an opportunity to say, hey, look, I'm open to discussion. Please reach out and talk yeah. to me um, yeah. and put yourself out there as opposed to just sitting back and waiting for them to kind of approach you. But also, as the mentee, you're going to have to, you know, actively go out there and communicate where you feel like you're struggling in and where you want assistance with um, yeah. for that to kind of progress. Correct, yeah. So you got to choose your dentist correctly because it depends what area of dentistry you feel you need more, more skill in or you need to know more about or where you want to focus on and things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, like, I don't, like, I know a lot of dentists. Like, I know a lot, you know, I've been in the industry for a long time and there's not a lot of mentoring going around, you know, as in, like, it seems to be the small group that do it all the time, the same people. Yeah. Um, like, I'm thinking of another friend of mine, Ivana Tinnaman. She does a lot, you know, an awful lot. Um, and happily so, and opens herself up for that. Um, but I think there's a lot of dentists who would do it if asked, you know, if they were asked, they would do it. But just the question's never asked. That's fair enough. Your favorite motto is, you know, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So, you know, a lot of our graduate, a lot of our guests, I ask them, you know, where's your ideal clinical, non-clinical day look like in five years' time? What kind of CP do you want to kind of get to that point? I think you've dabbled a little bit into it, but tell us a little bit more. So, um, so for me, it's dentistry three days a week is mm -hmm. absolutely perfect. Um, I want to do a day where. Uh, uh, it's well organized and it's not rushed. And I mean, I know how long I need for a patient, so that's pretty well worked out. I want a team that's really happy at the front desk and well organized. And that starts with me by really respecting my team and really working with them. I really, it's all about your nurses and your receptionists, <laughs> it's not about anybody else. Um, so, yeah, I really feel strongly about that. Um, working with your team, and my ideal day is like, I don't like to see 40 people in a day. I like to do a few checkups. I like to do, you know, longer appointments to get, um, I do a bit of quadrant dentistry, um, cosmetic dentistry. You know, a cosmetic patient might take me three hours or four hours, you know, so that's my whole afternoon gone. Um, I, want, I want the patients to be really happy when they come in and I want good equipment, working drills, brand new burrs, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. And that's my favorite like point. As my perfect dentistry day. And I feel like I'm achieving that. I really feel like I'm there at the moment. And then on my other days off, I want to be, you know, I, I really I really worked hard on my work-life balance. So, you know, I want to spend time with my family. I want to then also do stuff in the community as well and, and help where I possibly can and grow as a human being because life is all about just continuous learning all the time. So, um like I got another favorite motto. So um, most people are dead; they just don't realize it yet. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Tell us more. Tell us more. So I just think a lot of people, as they get older, 
shut down a lot and and uh, I feel like for me like I said I'm in the third phase of my career I'm just beginning again and excited about possibilities and there's so much more I could be doing and um, sharing and now I've got so much wisdom and knowledge I want to get it out there and um, yeah so and I, I, I think particularly with COVID, COVID's been a particularly tough time for dentists in particular like I'm I'm I've earned a quarter of my income over the last 12 months, you know, so um, it's, but, but I'm okay. I'm okay. It's just where life's taking me at the moment. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard sometimes. I think for some people, this is hard. Yeah. I was going to say, cause like, you know, um, you, you've reinvented yourself quite a few times, you know, yeah. for a lot of people, you know, what you were saying about being stuck, it's about being stuck in a habit. You're stuck in the habit. You're not changing. You're not really looking to redevelop yourself and break those slightly comfortable barriers and trying to um, push yourself a little bit, isn't it? So, um, it's an interesting point you talk about. Well, you think about dentistry and other medical fields. So like when I told my family at the time, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to continue with dentistry, they're all like, how can you give up dentistry? You've done that for years and you studied so hard. To them, that's the epitome of a career. And yet I've got three sisters and they've worked for multiple different companies doing different jobs, you know, lawyers and accountants and all that. And 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 I had really varied careers every five or six years. And yet they we, we're expected as medicos to stay very static and mm -hmm. and the people don't and a lot of dentists when when they come to me because i talk a lot a lot to different dentists about career challenges and changes and it amazes me how many of them think they can't do anything besides dentistry like and they just go well that's all i know and i go well actually you know it, there's a lot more that you know than just dentistry but you just can't see outside that at the moment so yeah um it's a really interesting career it really is an interesting career because it's um it actually sets us up for so many things but we just don't realize it yeah well let's talk about that for a second yeah you know so you know um a lot of people are talking about that so what are you talking about in terms of examples of um outside of dentistry so like um definitely small business we're very good at small business so I've actually had a few side businesses along the way um, because I already have the business skills. So I have a good understanding of how to set that up. I've got the social media skills as well. So I know how to do that too. I've got a few contacts in different areas. Um, so definitely like a side gig is quite a fun thing to do. Um, things like um, uh, mentoring programs, and it's not about dentistry. Like I've mentored people who've put like plays on and big theatres and things like that. What do I know about that? So it's just... But it's just been the sort of encouraging them along, having some life skills, um, yeah, doing all that sort of stuff, you know. Like I've, I've, owned, I've, I've published two cookbooks, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, there's all, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can do. Yeah, because, like, I mean, back to that other first favourite model of you, I'm not, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, you know. You talked about how you found that clue that you're, you want to be in it, you know. So you don't have to think about practice ownership anymore. But for a lot of associates, you probably hear about it too, how they're hopping from one clinic to another clinic because they're looking for that particular one that, you know, they want um, that fits what they want. I yeah. mean, what's your thoughts on that? Well, there's no perfect clinic. So what you have to do, like when I bought my first clinic, it's not a perfect clinic, but you make it so. You, you, that's the whole idea. So you buy something and then you create what you want to create with it. All you're doing is you're just buying the opportunity. 
So you're buying the opportunity and then it's up to you to make it what it needs to be. So, uh, yeah, you're crazy if you just think you're going to find the perfect place. Like it just doesn't, I don't think it happens like that. Unless maybe you start it from scratch and so you can be your vision right from the beginning. But like I bought into a partnership in my first practice um, definitely I went and it, I went in such a tangent to my business partner that it was a problem it was definitely a problem for him yeah. and, and I don't blame him at all one day he said to me you've changed a lot and I said yeah I have like I completely agree I have um, but I made it my own I made it I made it my own you know and I created something that was really wonderful really really wonderful um, but that's what you have to do you just have to start somewhere one of the things I notice is people hesitating all the time, but what are you waiting for? You just, you got to take that leap. You just got to take that leap. If you're able to take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is for a lot of associates that aren't happy where they are, you know, you can take that leap and then are you saying start their own practice? Um, and then I'll buy it. Sorry. I'll buy in. Yes. yes. And then, and then slowly build it and shape it over time. It's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, slowly but surely. And then maybe what you pictured it should look like actually changes along the way as you go along as well. It absolutely does, yeah. And you have to surround yourself with people who support you. You really do. And I'm talking clinically here now. You need a really good practice manager. You need a good reception. You need good nurses, people who want to be at work and um, are enthusiastic like you are. But look, it all starts with you. You you set the tone of that that practice and that day. It really does start with you. So I work in a practice that's got multiple dentists in it. Yet my day might be very different to another dentist there. Don't get me wrong, this practice is great because I make it what I want it to be. You know, so I I create that. Not even own the place, and I create what I want to work in that practice. So for me at the moment, I'm in my ideal practice, but I probably have very little say about what gets done there. But it's just, it's just, I just wish people understood. It's just that human interaction that's the most important thing is just getting the staff on your side and motivating them and, and working with them. There's fabulous people out there and, and then being really wonderful to your patients. It's all because really we're we're in um we're in the service industry. We really are. Right. Yeah, we are, aren't we? Um you know, you're talking about your team um, at your current practice. They've actually messaged in and they said, you know, Dr. Fiona, have you completed composite veneers by injectable templates and what are your thoughts on them? They're hilarious. I do heaps of them. <laughs> <laughs> they probably know that I love it, so they probably put that in. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, so yes, I do a lot of that and um, I love it. And, uh, yes, thank you. It would have been Brandon who did that. Thank you to the wonderful Brandon. <laughs> Like I told them I was coming on here and they're just so excited. They put it on their social media and like, um, yeah, like, like whatever practice I work at, I really try and, and really get to know them really well and yeah, and work out what they want from it as well. And I really enjoy it. Yeah. So I think if you're an associate, going back to that, if you're an associate in a practice and you're not happy, I actually think you have to do a deep dive into yourself and what you're contributing to that. So many people want to blame somebody else for their situation, but often you can actually 
you just think, well, what am I contributing to that? And how can I make that better? And you often can. And sometimes it can just be a chat to the principal, you know, about where you want to be and things like that. So, and if it's not, then sure, bail, you know, I, I get it, you know, but. Um, but Have that open communication. Yeah, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference, I think. So, yeah. Well, Dr. Fiona Kelly, there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but thank you for coming on the show today. If you can let yeah, the well, people know how they can find you or what's kind of going on in your life. Uh, so um, I've got my Instagram, <laughs> which is Dr. Fiona Kelly. Um, you can find me on Dental at Clarendon. That's a lot of stuff goes on there, Insta and Facebook. I don't have Facebook. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And I also have my own website. Thank you. Oh, such a pleasure. Uh, thank you, thank you. One of your tips on how to improve your interior composite restorations to make them all so nice? Well, we've got an exclusive CPD Junkie Cheat Sheet collab with Dr. Clarence Tan. You'll get the essential tools to set you up for success, an exclusive promo code for the Hugh Freddy School Tools Composite Sculpting Kit, and a step-by-step -step case presentation. So head over to cpdjunkie.com.au forward slash aesthetic cheat sheet forward slash to download your free copy today and make those bomb ass anterior restorations and your friends will be wondering how you did it. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.